So in case you didn't notice, that was a lot of text. That was a lot of text. Um, ironically, I've been preaching through the, the Gospel of Luke um, over at Delaware State University. Uh, Will and I did not plan it out this way, but it just happened to be this way. And as you can imagine, um, I've only got about maybe 11 weeks per semester to really get all the teaching out of me. So we have to take kind of big chunks as we look at scripture. Um, but this works out well for you guys because that means as we kind of do the, the one mile flyover view of these texts that Will can kind of, he's got all the time in the world. He's got years with you guys, you know. So he can kind of go verse by verse and, and really milk everything out of this uh, text. But we're really kind of taking an overview today just to let you guys know. Um, so this is what we call the Sermon on the Plain. This is the latter part of the Sermon on the Plain. It's the sequel. I call it the sequel. They, I don't know if they had serialized ways of thinking about things back then. But I call it the sequel to the Sermon on the Mount because basically Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he comes down and uh, he has a little bit more to say. And uh, you see these passages in all of the synoptic gospels. And from, for most people, this is some of Jesus' most recognizable teaching. In Luke 6, at the beginning, we see kind of this big idea unfold. We see how Jesus wants his disciples to think about the difficulties in life. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the sad. Blessed are those who cry. Blessed are those who are persecuted, right? And then he goes into these ideas of how to deal with people who are making you sad, who are making you poor, these people who are persecuting you, right? And he says, turn the other cheek. Give them a, your, your other cloak, okay? And he's telling this to his disciples right after, in chapter 6, at the beginning, he sends out his apostles and his disciples to do ministry, so thinking about this in the big picture, you know, when we go through this text, typically we, we take it so small that we don't see the big picture. What's happening here is that Jesus has appointed these disciples and these apostles, and he's really kind of giving them tips on how to go out and do ministry to broken people. So now as we re get into this part of chapter six, what we're seeing is that how what we see is how Jesus wants us to deal with people who are making our life difficult. And in this passage, we're going to discover how broken people like ourselves, we are broken, can reach people who are also broken and who may have even persecuted you, who may have even stolen from you or talked badly about you. These same people who were causing you so much stress, these are the people you're called to go out and reach in the name of Jesus. How do we do that? I'm imagining, uh, as I talk to my students, not nobody, none of them have seen Forrest Gump, so I feel real good this morning. I'm imagining everybody in here has seen Forrest Gump, right? So if you imagine, you, if you remember the scene where he's in Vietnam, the bullets are racing past his head, and there's this huge explosion, and all of his a company is basically blown up by this by this shell that rocks everyone except him. So if you remember the movie, you remember what Forrest does, right? He starts picking up his uh, his fellow soldiers one by one, and he throws them on his back. And you know, Forrest run, run, Forrest run, right? So Forrest is running, 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 and one by one, he's picking up all of these guys and taking them to safety, right? So he goes back and he's looking for his buddy Bubba. 
He can't find Bubba, but who he does find, he finds Lieutenant Dan. And we all know Lieutenant Dan has a death wish, right? He doesn't want to be picked up. He tells Forrest, just leave me here. I want to die just like everybody in my family dies. And he says, no, Lieutenant Dan, we have to get you out of here. And he picks up Lieutenant Dan and he runs Lieutenant Dan out. But before he can get to safety, what happens to Forrest Gump? Anybody know what happens? He gets shot in the butt. <laughs> and he drops Lieutenant Dan, who's already missing both of his legs, and he falls to the ground. And what you see here is that now instead of just having one person who needs to be helped to safety, we have two people. That's four, but two people by hand, right? <laughs> that need to be helped to safety. And as I thought about this passage this is exactly what came to mind. As we look at the rest of this chapter, we are reminded that Jesus is talking to his disciples who he just sent out and commissioned to do ministry. Therefore, the Sermon on the Plain is direction to these disciples on how to do ministry when you need to be ministered to as well. When you need to be ministered to as well. However, while Jesus could, Jesus could have told them many things, right? He could have said, you know, these are the best type of shoes to wear when you have to run away from people who are trying to persecute you. This is really what you need to wear, right? He could have given them pointers on uh, how to be very eloquent and great speakers as he goes into all these towns and preaches the gospel to them, right? But he doesn't really do that, does he? He could have given them fundraising tips. And he could have, you know, all of these things that church planners have to think about, right? Church planners have to think about. How to make great signs. You guys had great signs out there. I knew exactly where to go. I really appreciate that. Um, he could have given them tips on, you know, sound equipment. You guys doing pretty good at sound. The worship was beautiful this morning. But he doesn't do any of that, right? He primarily reminds them that they are being sent out to help sinners back to God. But he also doesn't want them to forget that they, too, are sinners in need of future growth. You guys are being sent out to this community. I don't know anything about this community, but this is your mission field. You are called to reach the broken people in this community. You're called to reach the prostitutes. You're called to reach the sinners. You're called to reach the thieves. You're called to reach the snooty, snobby, rich people. You're called to reach the people, the atheists, you're called to reach the people who've been in church all their life but couldn't tell you anything about the Bible. You're called as a church plant to reach all of these people. The irony is we often get caught up, however, in this great mission that we've been given to reach DSU, to reach Northern Delaware, to reach, you know, our respective communities. We get so caught up in this mission that we forget that we also need to worry about our own souls. We also need to care for our own souls. We also need Jesus in our lives. Here's the point. Because Jesus is a loving Savior, he wants us to go out, but he also wants to see us thrive as we serve the communities he's placed us in. Jesus isn't sending us out on a kamikaze mission. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you develop. 
He wants to see you love the Lord more with more of your heart, more of your soul and more of your strength every single day. So how can we be spiritually strong so that we can go out and help others become spiritually strong in Jesus? In verses 37 through 38, we see the first thing we need to be. We need to be humble. We need to be humble. Now, of all of the words that my students hate, they probably hate this word the most. But we all hate this word. Jesus starts with the J word, not Jesus. He starts with the judged. We all hate that word, right? Until we start doing it to other people. Then we can get real self-righteous. We all hate the J word, but what does it mean to judge somebody? It means to form a conclusion about something. Now, that's very basic. It's a very basic definition, okay? We dislike judging, but we probably do not dislike judging enough. We don't dislike judging the way Jesus wants us to dislike judging. Judging is the root of all kinds of sin, of pride, of prejudice, and hate. Let me give you some examples. That person is black. He must be a thug. That guy is Latino. He's probably an illegal alien. That guy is Arabic. He's probably a terrorist. That guy is fat. Well, he's probably lazy. That guy likes fancy clothes. He's probably gay. On and on and on, we make these judgments about people, most of which we know nothing about. Now, let me balance this out, right? Because we don't want to be naive. Naive is the absence of any kind of, you know, experience. Okay? We have experiences. We have, we have understanding, right? Naive is not what you want to be. You can't go through the world being naive. But you can't go through the world being judgmental. Naive is thinking that you can go in the middle of Iraq and openly proclaim your faith and think somebody might not try to kill you. That's naive. It may be bold. It may be something worth applauding, but it is naive. We don't want naive Christians. We want wise Christians. We want people, we want to be Christians who can make appropriate judgments about a situation, an individual or anything else that we may encounter in life. Judging stinks. We all do it. And Christians, as we know, are particularly good at judging people. He doesn't go to church. He curses. Did you hear that music he was listening to? He must not be a believer. He smokes. He had a drink on and on and on right we're not advocating bad health or alcoholism or bad language but we know if we're all honest with ourselves every one of us falls into those categories from one time to another the problem with judging is that the basic assumption is that either you don't do the same thing which probably isn't true or something like it or that you don't, in fact, do something worse. Most of the time, we judge people on things that we're actually doing something much worse about than that thing we're judging them on. Most of the time. You know, uh, 
One of my favorite ways to entertain myself, I love America's Home Videos, Funniest Home Videos. I could watch it all day. I wish they had a channel that was just totally dedicated to America's Funniest Home Videos. Why do you guys think I like America's Funniest Home Videos? Because I can look at that person and say, man, I'm smarter than you, buddy. <laughs> Some of my favorite America's Funniest Home videos are driving fails. People just driving crazy, and they bite it. Somebody's going 100 miles an hour, and you see their car just do a 180, and they get out the car, and they're like, I can't believe that happened. Or somebody, my other favorites are people who are in the gym, and my wife can attest to this, I laugh at this all day long. People in the gym, working out, don't know what they're doing. <laughs> You've seen it before in the gym, right? You might even be one of these people. Sometimes I'm one of these people too, okay? I'm making fun of people, I need to lose some weight, all right? But the thing is this, why do we do it? We do it because we think we're smarter, we're better, we're prettier, we're wiser, we can go on and on and on. The fact is, my wife can tell you, I'm a bad driver. And I like laughing at bad drivers because I know now that there's somebody worse than me. I like laughing at people who are working out wrong because I know they're still, even though I'm not in the gym today and I haven't been in the gym all week, at least I'm not in the gym looking stupid. <laughs> this is, it's comical. But it's hypocritical. It's bad, and oftentimes we even laugh at the hypocrisy of it. Jesus says, if you forgive, if you don't judge, then God, this is a promise. This is a promise straight from Jesus. He says, if you can learn to not be a hypocrite, if you can learn to not be judgmental, if you can be learned and grow and trust the Holy Spirit and be somebody who is wise in their judgments on people, then you will be blessed so much. He says that you will have to press it in. He says you will have to stuff it in. You ever seen one of those uh, Christmas gifts or Christmas stockings where the stocking was just way too small? We're getting in Christmas season. We can talk about this stuff, right? And they were just stuffing stuff down. I've got this big bin. Because I'm a traveling preacher. I'm an evangelist, right? And I've got this big, huge bin. Because I figured out that if I can stuff everything in this bin, it's huge. It's like one of those big toolboxes you get from Lowe's. It's like a 50-gallon bin. And I figured out if I can put everything in that bin, then I don't have to take multiple trips back to my car. I get to lift that bin out of my truck, and I'm, I'm done. I roll it. It's got wheels and everything like that. Best thing I ever bought. Jesus is saying... We're going to stuff it in there like I stuffed my stuff in that bin. You will be blessed if you can learn to not judge people. The blessing comes automatically. Because if you learn to not judge people, people will love you. People will appreciate you. It comes automatically. <clears throat> When's the last time? You forgave somebody for their shortcoming. Do you have any grudges out there? Have you judged somebody wrongly? I told you I'm a campus pastor, so I got homework for you. 
I want you to go to one of those people and apologize. If it's someone in your family, if, a, if it's a coworker that you've judged wrongly, I want you to go to one of those people and apologize to them this week. And I can guarantee you, based on the promise of Jesus, that you will be blessed through that. Because you already, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus has forgiven you and he's called you. He's relented his judgment on your life so that you can go out and do the same thing. Next thing we see is this, verses 39 through 42. We see that first we need to be humble, but next we see we need to be changed. What is he talking about? Can a blind man lead a blind, blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Let's stop right there. To make his point, Jesus um, goes even deeper about this, this idea of about judging, right? And he gives them this parable. So let me ask you, I had to drive up here today. Some of y'all may not have cars. Um, how many of you guys, if you got into an Uber and you saw that the man had these big dark shades on and he was reading a map and it was all in Braille, <laughs> would you get into that Uber? Probably not. I mean, he's been making money somehow. Uber approved him, but I don't know if I would get in there, and certainly not with my baby. He might be the best driver in the world, but I don't know if I'm going to give that a chance. You know, one of the scariest things about being a pastor, and I would say for Will, I'm going to speak for Will right now. He doesn't know I'm going to do this. But especially when you're starting a ministry, I started the ministry at Delaware State. Will is starting the ministry here at Hope Church. You know that Hope Church is going to be like Will Stern. All of his strengths, all of his weaknesses, the loving, caring, gentle nature that, that Will has, you guys as a church are going to start embodying that. I don't know Will enough to know his shortcomings, but I know he's good in music. You guys have some great music today because Will is good at that. I know that Will is a very studious well-learned person and you guys had a wonderful liturgy this morning so it's not any wonder that all of those things that will are good at hope church is good at and you guys as the people who are following him as he's following jesus are going to start embodying those things in your life now me as a campus park pastor i know everything i'm bad at I'm bad at being on time. I got here just in the nick of time this morning. I'm bad at that. Ain't never been good at it. I could never preach at a church that I didn't live five minutes away from. I can't do it. I've learned not to get better at the things that I'm bad at, but to circumvent the things that I'm bad at. That, if you can't get better at it, you need to learn how to short circuit it. You need to learn how to get around it. I call it setting myself up for success. Okay? You know, so all of my students, they're, they're at this age where they're being molded. And if they spend four years hanging out with me, you know, they're going to start doing all the good stuff that I do and all the bad stuff that I do. We can't be blind people and expect to lead others to Jesus. If we're not following Jesus, 
we can't lead people to Jesus. Jesus says this. He puts us in our place. He says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus is telling you this right now. And this is very important for pastors and elders and all of us to understand. I'm never going to be Jesus. You're never going to be Jesus. You're never going to be our perfect, sinless Savior, Son of, Son of God. But you can be like Jesus, and being like Jesus is pretty good. Everyone's motivation, everyone's desire, the whole point of the Christian faith is to want to be like Jesus. We're saved at one time. We're justified at one point in time. But after we're saved and justified, we are sanctified by a process. And that process, the whole point of that process is to become more and more and more like Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are Jesus's trainee. You are Jesus's trainee. And the good news is that Jesus, unlike your pastors, does not have any flaws to pass on to you. Jesus is perfect. Jesus took our sin and gave us his perfect righteousness. You know, I used to work in TV, and every time you make a duplicate of something, it's never as good as the original. But in Christianity, the promise is that one day we will be, we won't be Jesus, but we will be very, very, very much like Jesus, and we will be sinless and holy because Jesus is sinless and holy. The question here is, are you teachable? Are you willing to change? Furthermore, are you willing to be changed by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by the means of grace? Or are we trying to hold on to who we are? The primary way you change is you stop comparing yourself to your neighbor. You stop comparing yourself to your coworker. You stop comparing yourself to the people you see on TV, to the politicians, to the Jeff Bezoses and, and Bill Gates of the world. But instead of comparing yourself to them, you compare yourself to our rich and perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you training? That's what Jesus says. He says when he is fully trained, not halfway trained, not a quarter of the way trained, not 75% trained, not 99% trained, fully trained, fully trained. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you will be fully trained. Thessalonians says that God's will for our life is that we would be sanctified. Where are you at? Are you anywhere close to being fully trained? 
And as I ask my students, are you even showing up for class? Or are you skipping? Are you even showing up for class? Are you even enrolled? <laughs> Do you even know the master? Do you even know the teacher of our souls? Next thing we see is this. Verses 43 through 45, we saw that we need to be trained. We need to be changed. We need to be honest. Okay? Now we need to be honest. Jesus backtracks a little bit here. In this parable, he's letting us know that if you want to help people walk closer to Jesus, you yourself must be truly walking with Jesus. We've talked about this a little bit, but Jesus is, he's really trying to get this in our head, right? Now, a couple weeks ago, we had this lottery. I'm not going to lie. It was $1.6 billion. I gave him two bucks. I said, you know, why not? You know. I got my $2 back, by the way. Gambling's bad, okay? All right? We're not advocating that. But what I learned, this is the first time I really ever played the lottery. What I learned is that when you're in line with all these people who really think they're going to win, there was a guy ahead of me. He spent $120 on lottery tickets. I said, you're insane. I hope nobody in here did that. Please don't do that. $120 on lottery tickets. He really thought he was going to win. Floyd Mayweather spent $2,000 on lottery tickets, and he's already rich. But what I learned, why do people play the lottery? Because they want something to hope in. They want something to dream about. It's a fantasy. You are playing the lottery to fantasize. Because you want all of these things that are in your heart, all of these desires, all of these wants, every one of us wants every one of those desires fulfilled. And $1.6 billion can go a long way in fulfilling those desires. So that same morning, I was listening to the radio, and there was a guy on who had actually won the lottery, like big time. He won a couple million dollars. So what did he do with his money? How did he fulfill the fantasies of his heart, the desires of his heart. Well, he went out and he made a couple of investments. He bought some real estate. He did a good job there. He was still making money on real estate. But you know what else he did? He started spending $20,000 a month on prostitutes and his sex addiction. 20 G's a month. Some people don't make that in a whole year. The desires of his heart, when they were given opportunity, started manifesting themselves. He had some bad fruit. And that bad fruit started growing. It started multiplying. It started showing up. And no matter how hard he tried to race up there and take that bad fruit off of his tree, it kept coming back. It kept coming back. It kept coming back. It kept coming back until he was so broken, he had to call this radio program and cry out for help because he couldn't keep up taking the bad fruit off of his tree fast enough. He knew it. He said, if I don't stop doing this, I'm going to squander all of this money that I was given. And I need help. We've all got, Jesus says, 
out of the good treasure of your heart, you do good things. But then he says that there's also evil treasure in our hearts. What is treasure? Treasure is that thing we don't want anybody to put their hands on. We wouldn't give it up for anything. That's what a, a treasure is, right? When we give sin opportunity, it grows. And it shows us who we really are. Why do you think people who are broke, it doesn't matter how much money they make. If you're bad at managing money, not getting more money isn't going to help your problem. It's going to make it maybe worse. Who we are will come to the surface every single time. You see, the things we do, the things we buy, the things we watch, the things we spend our time on, all of those things show us who we really are. Hunters, what do hunters do? Hunters have guns. Hunters have bullets. Hunters read hunting books. Hunters hang out with other hunters. Why? Because that's who they are. Fishermen. Fishermen have fishing poles. They have boats. They have trucks to haul those boats, right? They have all kind of crazy baits, right? They got all kind of knives to cut up fish and all that kind of business, right? That's what they do. Good people. People who are following after Jesus. They come to worship. They read the scriptures. They evangelize their friends. They live the gospel. They teach the gospel to their family. And they live holy and righteous lives in the sight of God in their communities. Who do your actions prove us to be? Last thing we see is this, and this is very simple. Very simple. Doing good on time, too. All right. Verses 46 through 49, we see, we saw that we need to be honest. We see that we need to be changed. And now we see that we need to be deep. We can't be shallow Christians and believe that we're going to lead other people to Christ. If we're shallow Christians hoping to lead other people to Christ, at best they're going to be shallow Christians and nobody in here wants that. Simply put, if you want to bring others to Jesus, you have to do it, do it in Jesus' way. What has he said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? How are you going to be my trainee? I told, I had a personal trainer one time, and before we even started, I said, let me tell you something, man. Don't have me in this gym looking stupid. Not going to do it. And he said, well, you might need to find another personal trainer. I said, all right then. How are we going to tell Jesus how to do ministry? But oftentimes, this is exactly what we try to do. We want to do it our own way instead of doing it Jesus' way. And he gives this illustration. He says, he is like a man who, building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against it, and the house could not be shaken because it had been well built. How many of you guys remember Hurricane Michael from a couple of weeks ago? 
went through Mexico Beach, Florida. Some of you guys may have some family or friends down there. Did you see the pictures of Mexico Beach, Florida, and how that town was completely leveled by this Category 4 hurricane? Except one house. There was one house there still standing. Why was it standing? This man spent twice as much on his house, not on the fancy stuff in the house, not on the plasma screen TVs, OLED, it's not plasma anymore. <laughs> not on, you know, the fancy uh, sauna room, not on the, the cool garage with the elevator that can lift up his fancy cars, but he spent it on building the house out of reinforced concrete and he drove the pillars of that house about 20 feet into the ground. And he said, he built it a year ago. And he said, well, you know, I built it to last. I just didn't think I would need it to last so soon. <laughs> he spent twice as much per square foot on the house because he didn't want to get it blown away. And I'm imagining, he said he watched the house during the hurricane. And the house and all the other houses were getting blown away and shaking to pieces and the roofs were falling off and his house was still there. He said he fell asleep and he woke up the next day and his house was still there and he couldn't believe it. But then he could believe it because he knew exactly how much he spent on that house. How are we building our houses? You guys are a part of building a house. You guys in this church plant, you're building something here. Imagine 150 years ago when they were building Faith Church, would they have ever imagined that Faith would be doing the things that it's doing right now? How many churches has Faith started in this Presbytery? Grace Church. All of these other churches that, great, that, that faith has started, the fruit that has been reaped through what those people did and how they built that house. What happened? They didn't do it their way. They did it God's way. They did it Jesus' way. They did it the way Jesus said to do it built on the foundation of the word of God. That is how Jesus says to build this house. If you don't go deep, you'll be blown away. Hope Church will be blown away if it doesn't want to go deep. But if you go deep and you build on the foundation of the word, just like that man's house in Mexico Beach, Florida, you will stand the storm. You know, Jesus doesn't say that this man's house that fell, he doesn't say that he died. He just said his house fell, right? We think about Corinthians, he says, some of you will escape through the fire and everything you have will be burned up. Let not Hope Church be a church that escaped through the fire. We're not saying that we're losing salvation here. But Jesus wants this church to stand. I want this church to stand. 
You're not going to lose your soul. But you might lose everything you've worked for. So where are we now? We're talking about how broken people are sent out to fix their broken communities. Where do we see a picture of this in the scripture? Genesis 32, we see the picture of Jacob wrestling with God and how the angel or whoever you believe that person was touches his leg and he's crippled the rest of his life. God shot Jacob in the butt. Just like Forrest Gump. Shot him in the butt. That was a dirty move. But what do we see in the next chapter? We see Jacob going to his long lost brother Esau. A broken man. Going to reach a broken man. A sinner going to reconcile with a sinner. And what happens? They meet each other and they embrace. It shouldn't have happened that way. It shouldn't have happened that way. But God allowed it to happen. Just like Forrest, we've been all shot in the butt. We need help and we are still called to help others in the name of Jesus. Jesus on the cross was both at his weakest and his strongest for us. He was a broken man on the cross, helping broken people. And we are called to do the same.